Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts 24. Acts 24. Boy, it's been a day, hasn't it? It has. Be in prayer for our youth pastor, Robert Leto. He is uh, filling in for Jody Weta over at Berea Baptist in Stanfield. Uh, Jody uh, uh, is in the, actually just came home from the hospital t- today, uh, and so um, he's doing well. Um, but uh, uh, Leto's filling in for him. I'm thankful we have people in our church that we can send out to other churches in our area uh, to preach and teach whenever necessary. But um, be in prayer for him, and uh, I'm sure he's excited to have the opportunity. Um, and be in prayer for me, him, and Adam Love. We're leaving today uh, to go to the state convention in Greensboro, the Baptist State Convention. Uh, we'll be back late Tuesday night. It's going to be a great time of preaching and business. And uh, uh, nobody understands more than me and Adam about how exciting business meetings can get at a Baptist convention. Uh, so I cannot wait. Um, but Acts 24, uh, we're going we're gonna to look at the whole chapter this morning. So Acts 24, if you're there, say word. Fantastic. Three of y'all brought y'all's Bibles. All right, so go ahead and stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word. Acts 24, verses 1 through 27. And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one to Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul. And when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation, in every way and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect... I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult, but some Jews from Asia... They ought to be here before you and to make an accusation should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of of the way, put them off, saying, when Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. 
After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus and desiring to do the Jews a favor. Felix left Paul in prison. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would add a blessing upon your word. Help us to see the truth and the hope that you have for us. We ask this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So I'm currently reading this biography of Adoniram Judson called To the Golden Shore. It's a fantastic, beautiful biography, a story of a missionary to Burma. Now, Adoniram Judson is a good Baptist, and I would recommend you read about him. But this is a guy who was raised in a Christian home. He was raised in church. He read Christian books. He even read the Bible. And yet in his teens up to his early 20s, he claimed to be what is known as a deist. Now, a deist is someone that accepts that there is a supreme being, but they accept it through reason, not through special revelation that we have known as the Bible. But this being, the supreme being that a deist believes in, they don't interact with humanity. They kind of created all things and they stand back and just watch it unfurl. That's what a deist believes in a God. Now, they reject the God of the Bible. Now, this is interesting about Judson because he was raised with a father as a pastor. His father pastored a church for many years. He taught him scripture. He taught him theology. But yet Judson still claimed to be a deist. Now, Judson graduates at the top of his class. He's first. He's smart. He's even years younger than the class that he graduates with. He he even has to give the valedictorian speech, and it's phenomenal. But he writes two textbooks by the time he's 20. He's opened up a school, and his goal in life is to be famous. Judson wants people to love him. Wants to be well known. He wants to be well loved. He wants to be rich. He wants to be famous and popular. That was Judson's idea of life. Now, this is back in the 17 and 1800s. Judson was born in 1788. He died in 1850. God had a plan for Judson's life. Judson felt empty after he opened up the school. He felt empty. didn't know what was going on. So he shut the, the, he shut, shut the school down, decided to go on a journey, decided to travel. Of all the places, he travels to New York City, try to find himself. Then he ends up traveling another place and ends up in a lodge. There's only one room left. And the the clerk in this lodge tells him that the room is next door to a guy who is dying. He's going to be up all night screaming in pain. You're probably not going to enjoy it. Well, the guy, Judson, takes the room anyway. Here's the guy next door screaming in pain at, at times, wondering whether this guy is ready for death. Wakes up the next day, Judson asks the clerk about the guy. Clark says the guy died. Justin asked him, he said, what was his name? Come to find out, the guy next door in this room was one of Judson's best friends from school. A fellow deist. One who did not know Jesus. So Judson leaves the lodge and he's just dwelling on this. Hearing the news that one of his best friends from school just died. Who believed the same way he did. And he's wrestling with his hopes. What is it that my hope is in? 
Thankfully, through God's grace and mercy, Judson eventually comes to know Jesus Christ and gives his life and then ends up being a missionary to Burma. I highly recommend you reading about Adoniram Judson. But we see here in this text, this morning's text, we see Paul standing before Felix and these Jews of the Sanhedrin. And he's given a defense of the hope that he has. He's not, he doesn't have a hope of being famous or a hope of being rich like Judson did. Paul's hope is in Christ, and we're going to see that. The main idea I've got for you this morning is this. In a hopeless world, we are held fast by a hope-filled Savior. In a hopeless world, we are held fast by a hope-filled Savior. I love how we just sang, He will hold me fast. He will hold us fast. Our hope is in Christ as our sure and steady anchor, which Hebrews tells us. Christ holds us fast. And we are living in a hopeless world. Look outside. Look on your TV. It's hopeless. Nothing in this world is hopeful except the church because we share a message of the gospel of transformation and redemption, that there is hope. So that's where Paul has his hope, in a hope-filled Savior. Now, any ordinary person would feel hopeless in this situation with Paul. Any ordinary person would. Everyone is against Paul in this situation. They want him dead. But Paul is not any ordinary person. He holds to a hope in Christ that holds him fast in a hopeless world. So let's break this down. I got three things for you. I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to go through this a little quicker than I had planned. But first, number one, hope is not in the offerings of this world. Hope is not in the offerings of this world. Now we live in a hopeless world, a world that tends to offer many things that seek to give us hope. Material possessions, medicine for good health, approval of man, fame, glory, power, so many things that this world may offer us to give us hope for satisfaction and joy. Yet these things are not necessarily bad in themselves, but yet when we place our hope in them, that's when they become idols of our heart. These Jews are seeking to make a case against Paul. The world is against him. They want him dead. And Jesus was right in John 15, 19, when he says that if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now, the Jews bring three charges to Felix against Paul. First, they bring a violation of Roman law. They tell us in verse five, for we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world. They claim that Paul is spreading dissension. That he's starting riots. And in the Roman world, this is unlawful because it threatens the peace and stability within the Roman Empire that it needs in order for it to thrive. So the Roman world is going to step in and say, you're causing problems. You should die for it. And so that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to bring a violation of Roman law so that the Romans will go against Paul. The second second violation is a violation of Jewish law. Where in... Verse 5, they they talk about how Paul is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. They're seeking to frame Paul as a leader of this radical, political, fanatical party that is going against the Jewish religion. That's basically what they're calling them. And Nazarenes, the word Nazarenes, is not meant in a good manner in this text. They're calling him a sect of the Nazarenes because it's derogatory. Because Jesus of Nazareth. And thirdly, they are throwing a violation of God's law. 
where in verse six, it says he, he even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. Now, we know that, that they didn't seize him. The Jews did not seize him. The tribune did. So they're already lying. And even in this passage, we see Tertullus is just, he's just sucking up to Felix. We see in verse two, where Tertullus says, since through you, we enjoy much peace. And since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation in every way and everywhere. We accept this with all gratitude, but to detain you no further. We know you're a busy man. We know your time is precious. You are amazing. But let us give this charge to you. They're lying to Felix. They're, 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 they're sucking up to him. They're, they are, they're lying to him because they just want Paul dead. Now we see here in this text that verses seven and eight probably are not in your Bible. And if they are, they're probably in the footnotes. And that's because those verses were not in the earliest manuscripts. Now that doesn't mean that, that they don't belong there. It just means that more than likely Luke didn't write those. It's possible that scribes added those verses later to try and connect six and eight a little better, but it's okay that it's not there. What they're saying is, is, is that more than likely Luke did not write it, but it's in the footnotes if you want to read it. Now in verse nine, we can see that the Jews also joined in the charge and they affirmed that all these things were so. So we see in this passage, everybody's against Paul. Yes, Paul did it, but they didn't see Paul do it. We heard Paul did it, but we just want Paul dead. Paul's a problem, but we didn't see him do anything wrong, but he's a problem. And so they're trying to kill him. And Paul here could have easily given in. He could have easily recanted everything he said, and he could have easily apologized. He could have sought the approval of the Jews and the Sanhedrin, and he could, he could have even pled for his life to Felix. But he doesn't. Paul doesn't. Why not? Because his hope isn't in anything that this world has to offer. His hope is not in anything that this world has to offer. His hope is not in anything that Felix can offer or that the Sanhedrin can offer. His hope is not in the approval of man. He's not here to please man, but to please God and to share the gospel. His hope is not in a life free of suffering because his, his Savior suffered and died for him. His hope is not in a life of material possessions, power, fame, glory, or even money because he knows that this life is but a vapor. And that these things, these material things, these things that the, that this world offers is meaningless compared to glorifying God and seeking the true treasure, our true satisfaction in Jesus Christ. Paul sees and knows that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises of scripture. The promise of a savior to come is fulfilled in Christ who has come and has accomplished the redemption of his people on the cross. That's where his hope lies. It's not in safety. It's not in security. It's not in money. It's not in power. It's in Jesus because Christ holds him fast. Turtles and the Jews are hoping in the governmental system. They're hoping in Felix. They're hoping that Felix will help, help do what they want to see Felix do by killing Paul. Paul has no hope in this system. He doesn't hope in these people. His hope is solely in the sovereignty of God and in the goodness of his Savior. Now, we may think these things that man's approval, good health, no suffering, power, fame, money, glory, whatever. We may think that these things would make our lives easier. 
It's Christmas time, right? At least I think it is. I know some of y'all are Grinches. Things we've got to get through Thanksgiving. Christmas is a season of giving. We've got to give thanks, right? It's Christmas time. All right. I already had two Christmas trees this morning, two Christmas tree cakes. So it's Christmas time. But I know that it's already in our, it's already in our minds. Maybe if I had a better job, or maybe if I made more money, or maybe if I saved a little bit more, or, 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 or did these things, maybe my kids will have a better Christmas, or, or, or maybe I'll have a better Christmas. I mean, there are things that we think that would make our life better or easier, but yet our hope is not in these things. Our hope is not in anything that this world can offer. It's not. So our hope is not in the offerings of this world. Instead, secondly, number two, our hope is in the promises of God's Word. It's in the promises of God's Word. We see in verses 10 through 21, Paul gives his defense. And he shuts it down everywhere. First, he tells Felix that he was only in Jerusalem for 12 days. Basically, basically saying that's too short of a time to be someone who causes dissension. You need more time than that to cause problems. And when the Jews came to kill him, he wasn't disputing with anyone or causing a problem. They, they, they never saw Paul doing any of the things that they're accusing him of. They can't prove any of it. Secondly, Paul tells Felix that for the accusation of leading this sect of Nazarenes, he says, I worship the God of their fathers. And that I believe in everything laid down in the Word of God, in the law, and in the prophets. Having a hope in God that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. Paul's turning the tables here. Paul says, I believe in the God of their fathers. The God of Judaism. The God of the Bible. And I believe in everything in the Word of God. In the Old Testament Scriptures at this time. In the law and in the prophets. Here's why. The Sanhedrin is made up of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Sadducees only believe in the law. First five books of the Bible. Pharisees believe in the law and in the prophets. Neither one believe that Christ is the fulfillment of both. Paul is saying, I believe that. I believe all of the Bible. I believe where it's pointed into Scripture that it is Christ that is the fulfillment of all things. I believe that. His hope is in the promises of God's Word. And thirdly, he tells Felix that he was found in in the temple being purified, not desecrating it. He was taking part in the service. So he shuts down every accusation against him and in so doing confesses his hope in God and in the promises of God's Word because that's the issue here. That's the issue here. He tells us in verse 20 and 21, he says, Or else let these men... The men of the Sanhedrin, let them let themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing that I cried that I cried out while standing among them, he said, It is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. Not that he believes that there will be a resurrection in the future, which he does. That's not the resurrection that he's on trial for. The resurrection he's on trial for, the resurrection of the dead in verse 21, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that he's proclaiming. That Jesus has risen again, that he is Lord and Savior. And his hope that we see earlier is that there will be a future resurrection of my body. There will be a future resurrection where I will be made new and glorified and with Christ. 
He's on trial for that. He's turning the tables on them. Paul's hope is in the promises of God's Word. And it's that hope that is strengthening him in a situation like this. I think the, the 1689 London Baptist Confession helps us with this. He, it talks about in this confession, in the first chapter concerning the Holy Scriptures, it says all God's people have a right to and a claim on the Scriptures and are commanded in the fear of God to read and search them. Not all of God's people know these original languages. They don't know all of the Hebrew and Greek. So the scriptures are to be translated into the common language of every nation to which they come. Now hear this. It says, in this way, the word of God may dwell richly in all so that they may worship him in an acceptable manner and through patience and the comfort of the scriptures may have hope. It is through God's word that we can have hope. It is through these promises that we see the promise of a Savior. That's where our hope lies. John Newton once said that our righteousness is in Him and our hope depends not upon the exercise of grace in us, but upon the fullness of grace and love in Him, in Christ, and upon His obedience unto death. That's where our hope lies. And Paul knows it. We see here that this hope in Christ that gives us salvation, that's not the only aspect of our lives that that hope helps. This hope affects every aspect of our life. This hope in Jesus affects how we love our spouse, how we love our children, how we lead our families, how we work our jobs, how we suffer in trials, how we deal with sin, how we live daily in a hopeless world that is constantly Against us. All of this is affected by the hope that we have in the promises of God's Word. When my health is failing, I lean on the promise of 2 Corinthians 4.16 that says, So we do not lose heart, though our, our, our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. When I am suffering, I lean on the promise of 2 Corinthians 4.17 where it says, For this moment, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. When I am fearful, I lean on the promise of Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When I am anxious, I lean on the promise of Philippians 4.6-7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We see these promises in Scripture that give us hope. They give us hope. Paul's hope is that because of Christ, there is more to life than our suffering. Because of Christ, there is more than this brief, this brief life that we live, this vapor that is here one day and gone the next. Because of Christ, one day we will be resurrected in a new body, a glorified body, and we will spend an eternity in heaven with Jesus. That's where our hope lies. And one day the just and the unjust will give an account before the Holy Father and the unjust will be hopeless. But the just will be like Paul, standing with the hope not in himself, not in this world, but in the one who died for him. Spurgeon can help us with this. He said one time, without Christ, there is no hope. Without Christ, there is no hope. There is a hope that you can have this morning, church. There is a hope that you can have. Because thirdly, what we see about this hope in the promises of God's Word is that third, hope has a demand for a response. 
Felix has heard what Paul said. And Felix knows there is no way that he can find Paul guilty. So when we look at verses 22 through 27, we see Felix and his wife, Drusilla, and they have an exchange with Paul. We can see the distinction of hope here. First, we have Felix and Drusilla. Now, here's a little bit of history on Drusilla. Drusilla is the daughter of Herod Agrippa I. She is a Jew, and she was promised in marriage to Epiphanes, the son of a king, when she was six years old. However, Epiphanes would not submit to the Jewish practice of circumcision. So the marriage did not take place. Now, when Drusilla was 14, she was married off by her brother, King Agrippa II, to King Azizus of Syria. But she ended up leaving Azizus and marrying Felix. This was a no-no. This was a no-no. You don't do that. Felix is a Gentile, and this this defiled the Old Testament law. This was a problem. Both of these, Felix and Drusilla, they have a hope in the things of this world. But they do not have a hope in Christ. But they wanted to hear Paul speak about faith in Jesus. However, when we see in the text, verse 24, After some days, Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul, and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed. So much so to where he tells Paul, go away for the present, and when I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul, so he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. When Paul spoke about the gospel, Felix fell under conviction and fear. He sent Paul away. He had an opportunity. He had an opportunity to respond. Through his sending Paul away, he did respond by saying, I don't want nothing to do with that. That was his response. And they continued to have conversations at times over the course of two years. But for the only reason that Felix didn't, he didn't have a hope in Christ. He was hoping Paul would bribe him. He was hoping Paul would pay him. And even here we see his hope in man because he leaves Paul in prison to please the Jews. Even up to the point of this succession between Felix and Festus, Felix never came to know Christ. Never came to know Christ. We don't know what happened to him. But according to Scripture, according to what we have here, he's in hell today. Because he did not respond to the gospel rightly. Felix had a hope in money, power, and the approval of man, but not in Jesus. Drusilla had a hope in comfort in her husband, in money, but not in Jesus. Paul's hope was held fast by Jesus his Savior, and he shared this hope to both of them, but they rejected it. Hope demands a response. Here's the thing. Time runs out. Our life is but a vapor. We're not promised tomorrow. And once death comes, there's only judgment. There is no hope after we die, church. There's no hope after we die. So if there's anyone here this morning who needs to place their hope in Jesus, I pray you do it today. Don't hold off on trusting in Christ for salvation. He's our true hope and only hope. 
in this hopeless world. Now, I know many of us are gearing up for Christmas season. I am. Bunch of Grinches. I love Christmas. I can't wait. I used to be a Grinch. You can ask my wife. A couple years ago, I was one of those where it was like, we're not doing anything until the day after Thanksgiving. But then the world just went to kablooey. Now it's like, I want Christmas every day of every year. So I love Christmas. Um, but what I love about the Christmas season is the message that it gives. That it's a message of hope. Hope for a sinful and broken humanity. Hope that there is redemption available. Hope of peace with God. And we find that hope in Jesus who came to this earth, born in a stable, poor environment, truly God, truly man, so that He may later die on a cross for our sins. So where is your hope at this morning? What is your response? Is it in this world? Is it in the things of this world? Or is it in Christ who died for you? May we be able to sing here shortly that we're going to sing right now. My hope is built on nothing less. May we be able to sing it with our whole heart. That our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray and then let's sing of this wonderful hope. Father God, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for the hope that you give us, that you gave Paul. The hope that is only found in Jesus Christ. God, we pray that you would work within us this morning. That you would help us to be reminded of that hope. That, that, that you would hold us fast to that hope, God. Whether we're going through a trial, whether we're in need of it for salvation, whether we're struggling with our sin, whether, whether we're doubting or anxious, whatever it is, Lord, help us to see that hope that is only found in Christ. And Lord, help us to build that hope on nothing less than that. We ask this in your son's precious name we pray.